This morning, we are in a series. If this might be your first time with us, we're walking kind of slowly through the gospel according to Matthew. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 8 this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you, I go ahead and encourage you to turn there. And um, if you want to follow along in your phone, that's just fine as well. But we'll be in Matthew 8 today. And so we'll get there in just in a couple of minutes. So let me, let me remind you of a couple of foundational verses uh, that are in this, um, in this series. And I, I, I think about specifically this first verse that I'm going to mention to you. And I think I've quoted this verse every single Sunday that we have been in Matthew. And it's Matthew 4, 17, perhaps a verse that many of you will memorize because you're hearing me say it so much. But a, a foundational verse for the entire series that we're calling King Jesus is Jesus is proclaiming this message over and over and over again. Repent, change your mind, everyone. Change the way you think about God. Change the way you think about life and having a relationship with God. Everything is changing now that Jesus has come. Repent, repent, change your mind for the kingdom of heaven is near or here or now. Kingdom breakthrough, kingdom breakthrough in Jesus. And then six verses later in chapter four, Jesus or or Matthew tells us this. Now Jesus went all about Galilee. Galilee is a region in Israel. It's on the northern side of Israel. Two thirds of Jesus's public ministry happened in the region of Galilee. And so his ministry is beginning and he's going all over the region of Galilee. He is teaching in their synagogues which is significant for us to remember because Matthew's gospel is written to his own Jewish people so that they would believe that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah, Savior, King. He goes teaching in their synagogues. He is preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He's preaching, repent, the kingdom of heaven is here, now, in the present moment. And he is healing, emphasis today in Matthew 8, and he is healing all kinds of sickness and disease among the people. Right after this is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus goes up on the hillside outside of the ancient city of Capernaum, and we've been in the Sermon on the Mount the last four weeks, Matthew 5 to 7. Sermon on the Mount is specific to the teachings of Christ. And we have learned that it is heaven's breakthrough for us, not in the sweet by and by, but heaven's breakthrough in the here and now for our lives to be transformed, for our minds to be renewed, for our understanding that kingdom breakthrough is the empowerment of grace and the Holy Spirit in our lives to bring heaven to earth and for our own lives to reflect heaven in the lives that we live. That's been teaching, the teaching ministry of Jesus. And as we get into chapter eight, there will be lots of evidence in chapter eight of the power of Jesus's words. His teaching words, Matthew five to seven. Chapter eight is evidence of the power of the words, the works of Jesus's supernatural healing ministry. We're not gonna cover all of the stories in Matthew eight, but there's some really famous ones. Uh, Jesus calming the storm on the Sea of Galilee when he looks at the disciples and they're so frantic about the squall coming. And he says, you're, you're with me. Why, why do you have such little faith? That's in Matthew 8. 
Uh, the story of Jesus going on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, and there's two uh, men who are possessed of demons, and he heals them, and the demons go into the pigs. You guys know that story, a crazy, wild story. They go into the pigs, and then they run off the side of the cliff uh, into the Sea of Galilee. That's, that's a wild story, ladies and gentlemen. We're not going to dive into that today. There's a story of Peter's mother-in-law being healed of a fever. That's That's chapter eight. Well, there's so many stories of the power of God being manifest. Um, We're going to cover two stories. The first two stories of Matthew 8, the famous story of Jesus healing the man with leprosy. And then the story right after that is when Jesus heals the Roman centurion's servant. That's where we're going to land today. Uh, Again, the healing ministry of Jesus and how his works confirmed his word. So I'm just going to get right in it with you. Uh, the, the story of the leper is only four verses in Matthew chapter eight. And so let's start with, with this. Um, let's see. Oh, can we go to the sermon? There we go. There we go. There we go. You guys see that? Okay. Matthew eight, one to four. Here we go. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, he had just finished the sermon on the mount Large crowds followed him. Well, of course they followed him. Chapter seven says at the very end that they were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority. And so why would they stay on the mountainside when the one who had authority was leaving? They're following him. They want to follow Jesus. And a man with leprosy came and knelt before him. And said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, he was cured of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. There were all kinds of customs and laws and rules around um, this man being healed. And so what Jesus is telling him to do is to go to the priest and perform the rituals of healing that were in place in that time. That's what that means there in verse four. Um, this story, uh, I would say to you, is uh, one of my favorite stories in the Gospels about the power of Jesus and the compassion and the love of Jesus. I know for Lindsay, she would say it's my favorite, favorite story of all the stories of Jesus. And I am, um, I'm so thankful, privileged, humbled to get to unpack this story uh, with you guys uh, today. I want to pull up a pretty large quote just so that we have a better idea of what leprosy was like in that day. And even today, even today in our world today, leprosy is still present in our world. Um, But this is what a scholar says about leprosy. Leprosy begins with the loss of all sensation in some parts of the body. The nerve trunks are affected. The muscles waste away. The tendons contract until the hands are are like claws and there's no movement in your hands. And then comes the progressive loss of fingers and toes until in the end, a whole hand or a whole foot may drop off. The duration of that kind of leprosy is anything from 20 to 30 years. 
It is a kind of terrible progressive death in which a man dies by inches. Terrible, terrible, terrible physical disease. Know this, this ancient leper had zero, zero hope of improvement. He had zero hope of him just like getting better in his life. Um, And so he comes to Jesus with this great sense of need and desperation. And what you need to know is that by him coming to Jesus among a lot of people that day, he was he was not obeying the rules. We'll just say it that way. He was not obeying the rules of the day around what it meant and what he was required to do as as a leper. But in his desperation, he came to Jesus and he asked Jesus, it's an interesting question. He says, if you are willing, like the question in his mind is, will Jesus be willing to help me? I, I believe that he knew that Jesus could heal him. Why do I believe that? Because the word was going everywhere about what Jesus was doing all around Galilee. He had had certainly heard the stories. That's why we read Romans, Matthew 4, 23. He was healing all kinds of sickness and disease among the people. He had heard the stories. So he'd certainly heard those stories himself. Jesus could make him clean, but his question is, would, would he be willing? It's an interesting question. And I'm wondering if any of you have ever wondered why, why does he phrase it that way? Why does he say, if you are willing? So according to uh, the Jewish laws and the customs of the day, there were a lot of uh, customs laws around leprosy. Uh, You had to keep six feet away from a leper. A leper had to keep six feet away from you. They were not allowed to touch you and you were not allowed to touch them. So if I had leprosy and we were in this room and I was about to walk down this aisle out the back door, I would have to say to you, unclean, unclean. And all of you would scatter away from me to walk out the door so that we, so that you wouldn't get leprosy and so that you would abide by the Jewish laws and customs of the day. They lived outside of the city in camps, separated, condemned, judged, alone. So I think this leper in his mind, like I, I'm gonna go for broke on this. I'm gonna go for broke on Jesus. I don't care about the rules anymore. I need healing in my life. And I think he can heal me. I'm not sure if he will. But I'm, I'm going for it. Would Jesus be willing to see me, come to me, touch me? And certainly, I think as we read this story, again, at four quick verses, the miraculous healing is to be noted in the story. Jesus touched him, and immediately he was healed of his leprosy. That's what Matthew tells us. He touched him, and immediately he was healed. Certainly, we need to take note of that. But I, I wonder if, if more so that the healing that was happening was, was even deeper than physical healing. Jesus certainly has the power to save and heal. 
But I, I believe that the biggest, most profound healing in this story was relational, emotional, and spiritual. And I think when we read the story at first glance, we just think about the certainly physical, supernatural healing took place. But I think the deeper, more profound healing was the relational, emotional, and the spiritual healing. How long do you think it had been since this leper had someone honor his personhood? Not, not seeing his disease, but seeing him. Like seeing him as a person, as a human being, acknowledging his humanness. Uh, years, years on years, perhaps. How long do you think it had been since another human being had physically touched him with a loving handshake or a hand on a shoulder or even a loving hug? Years on years, perhaps. So I want, I want you to imagine something as we hold this story. I want you to imagine for a moment that you, you have to go for one year. You have to go for one whole year with no eye contact, no compassion, no physical touch from another human being. How are you doing relationally, emotionally, and spiritually at the end of that year? I mean, how, how, I mean we're, we're bankrupt, wouldn't you say? Emotionally, relationally, even we're bankrupt. We're broken. Do you know that when we hug someone, like when you hug someone and it's a loving embrace, do you know that your body produces endorphins, like your physical body? produces endorphins, like actual chemicals in your body that as those endorphins are released, begins to relieve your stress and your pain. One of those endorphins is called oxytocin. And researchers have found this. I'm not a researcher and I'm not a scholar on this, but I'm just telling you what I researched this week. Researchers have found that the presence of oxytocin in our bodies being released actually speeds up the physical wounds in our bodies. What? Yes. Oxytocin in your body being released moves itself to, to healing your physical wounds. But it's even bigger than that. Studies have shown that even a brief touch of the hand from someone who cares about you can start your oxytocin pumping. And when you offer a hug to someone in pain, or when you receive a hug from someone when you are in pain, you literally begin the healing process. Certainly emotionally, spiritually, relationally, but also physically. This is how God has made us, church. The healing process begins with a touch, with an embrace, with seeing each other through the lens of love and compassion. It's really just that simple. Now let's go back to the story of Matthew chapter eight. Look with me again, because I want you to circle something uh, in verse three. If you have a pen or you take notes, uh, verse three, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. 
And I want you to circle the word touched there. He physically touched this leper. Uh, that, is, that is pretty, it's a pretty wild, like amazing thing for us to, to read, to consider. Because in doing so, hear this. Now, what I told you before is the six feet, like the six feet rule and the no touch rule, that thing went both ways. So what we see in the story is that the love of Jesus and the compassion of Jesus to see this man, to acknowledge his personhood and to be willing to heal him and to be willing to physically touch this man. In this story, on this day, Jesus came against the Jewish laws and the customs of the day that would have said, you can't touch him. And so he does because his compassion and his love is primary. And the compassion and the love of God is always primary, church. And what we see in the story is that Jesus says, I am willing. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. And what I'm inviting you to consider with me this morning is that a more powerful healing was already happening before this man's miraculous physical healing took place. The healing in this man's soul was already happening because Jesus saw him and cared about him and loved him and compassionately. His soul, the relational, the emotional, the spiritual was already happening. The physical healing happened at the very end. That's what I'm inviting you to consider in the story. And I believe whether or not his physical ailments, his, his leprosy, whether or not that miraculous thing happened or not, his soul was already being healed. Healing was already happening. Um, I've been in um, full-time vocational ministry for a long time, since I was 23 years old. I'm 48 now, you can do the math on that. And in a lot of different ministry contexts. And when you're in ministry and you care for people and you love people, uh, we have to embrace and accept that life, life happens. And we accept life on life's terms and there's pain and suffering in our world, amen? I mean, that's just the reality. And so I have had a number of opportunities in 25 years of ministry to pray for people who were desperate, who had life situations that were very painful and hard and needed some supernatural healing. And many of you have done the same thing. And I will tell you that there have been a few times as a testimony to you, to the power of God, that is operating still today. I will tell you as a testimony, there have been a few times in 25 years of ministry where we have asked God to break heaven to earth, break through, Lord, show us your power in a real way. And I have seen with my own eyes, supernatural physical healing happening before my eyes. It's happened a few times and I give testimony to it today. And so I believe it and I will pray for it and I will continue to pray for it. But I will tell you as a testimony as well, most of the time in most of the stories, 
we didn't see the miraculous physical healing that we were praying for. When we experienced and saw the breakthrough and the supernatural physical healing that we prayed for, and God did that, we thanked God. And when we didn't see it through our tears and our brokenness, we trusted God. Because who, who else would we turn? Where else would we turn? Why am I going down this road? Because I want, I want you to consider this question. Was God in his grace and his goodness and his power manifest in one story, the few times where we saw the breakthrough happening, and then the other stories, which was the majority of the stories that I prayed for over 25 years of ministry, God just wasn't present and his goodness wasn't present, his power wasn't present? Or was it like, well, on this side, we prayed with faith and we had enough faith and we had enough faith. And because we had enough faith, God moved it on this side. For whatever reason, I didn't have enough faith for the healing, so we didn't get the healing. Or maybe on this side, the person that we were praying for, they had enough faith. But on this side, the people we were praying for, they just didn't have enough faith. Is, is that the way this thing works? This, this conversation is a situation where people get spiritually manipulated and where legalism creeps in. And that's why I wanted to talk about it with you. Someone we pray for didn't experience a physical healing. We might hear things like, well, I didn't have enough faith or they didn't have enough faith for the person that we were praying for. And let me just say this as boldly as I can. The power of God being manifest in our life is not our ability to have faith or enough faith or all that. It is in the object of our faith, who is Jesus the Christ, who is the sovereign Lord of glory. And we will trust him when we get the physical healing that we want, that, that we want and we will trust him when we don't. Because we, we are not the ones in control of the universe. But we ask God to move, certainly, and we trust him, we trust him. The fact that the leper went to Jesus in his desperation is faith, period. Do you think that Jesus gave the leper a faith grade and healed him because he had enough faith? Come on, church. He operated in faith and desperation and in the sovereignty of God, God moved in that, in that man's story. I want us to, I want to lead us, I want to teach us, I want to encourage us to have a more robust understanding of healing. Healing is in the mind, it is in the body, and it is in our souls. Here's a couple of things theologically for us to consider this morning. Isaiah 53, the very same passage of scripture that was read at our Advent reading, that Jesus is a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, the prophet Isaiah says this, by his wounds, we are healed. Peter, the apostle Peter, 2 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed healed, have been past tense. We are healed. We have been healed. 
because of the person of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, it's all true. But let's consider what Jesus told the disciples the night before he would go to the cross. And he told them, no one, nothing, and all of nothing, nothing. You are going to face a lot of trouble. But I'm telling you right now, no one can take your joy away ever, no matter what may come your way. That's healing, amen? That's healing. The fact that we have joy, joy isn't out there somewhere. Joy is in here. It is Jesus. It's the joy of the Lord is our strength. John 16, 33, I have told you these things so that you might have peace, shalom. In this world, you will have trouble. Take heart, I have overcome the world. Swain, why? I don't understand. Why? Why are there stories out there of people that have experienced supernatural physical healing and their family gets to celebrate that? And in my family or in my life, in my story, we didn't get that answer. Pastor, why? And I will tell you, I don't know. And I will tell you my own story. I don't know. I don't know why. Why did, a, why did a little girl that I prayed for get healed and my own little girl did not? I don't know. We thank God. We trust God. Do we believe in his sovereignty? His ways are higher than our ways. I don't understand it all, church. But I believe in the scriptures that call us to believe that faith, faith gets to be what roots us in our life so that we don't live spun out in anxiety and fear in our life and worry. I believe that we can experience and hold shalom in our life instead of anxiety in troubling times. We are living in troubling times. I believe that believing and being rooted in faith in God like Mary and Joseph allows us to persevere through troubling times with joy and with peace. That's healing. That is healing. In Jesus, you are healed. By his wounds, you have already been healed. That's healing. Your salvation in Christ is the most powerful healing you'll ever experience. That's healing. The fact that we have an eternal hope of everlasting life in Christ, that's healing. Anyone? Amen? Anyone? Anyone? Amen. In this world, you'll have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Nothing can take away our joy. Nothing can take away our peace. The most significant lesson I've learned in my life around this conversation is that our faith lies not in the healing that we're praying for, but in the one who heals. And that we trust in his sovereignty. And that is the place where we have peace and rest, no matter what the outcome is. Story of the leper. Next story, story of the Roman centurion. Let's read the next 
verses, Matthew 8, 5 to 13. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion, a centurion is a, a Roman soldier who is in charge of a lot of other Roman soldiers beneath him. A Roman soldier is a Gentile pagan. A centurion came to Jesus asking for help. So we have the leper coming to ask for help. We have the Roman centurion coming to Jesus asking for help as well. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. And Jesus said to him, I I will go and heal him. And the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes and I say to my servant, do this and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was astonished. The word can also be translated, he marveled. Another way to translate that Greek word is he was amazed. Jesus was astonished, marveled at the faith of this Roman pagan centurion. It's remarkable. And then he says, I tell you the truth. I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then Jesus said to the centurion, go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. A couple of things about this story. First thing, again, the Roman centurion is Gentile, pagan. The Roman centurion was an oppressor of Israel. He's a man of war. That's who he is. He was stationed in Palestine to subject the Jews that live there under the emperor's rule. And he achieved the rank of centurion by distinguishing distinguishing himself above others in this brutal, brutal Roman regime. Not exactly the resume you'd expect for becoming one of the Bible's heroes of great faith, would you say? Not exactly who we might expect. This scene, Matthew 8, verse 5 to 13, This scene takes the compassion of Jesus to a whole nother level, a whole nother level of kingdom breakthrough. The grace of God, the mercy of God, the love of God, the compassion of God is for anyone and everyone. It is for the ones who are broken, the leper. It is for the ones who are broken, the leper. It is also for the ones who are doing all of the breaking. Roman centurion. No one, no one, no one that you know, no one that you know is ever too far gone for the love and the compassion and the mercy and the grace of God to meet them. No one. 
Grace knows no boundaries. You got, you got to see that in the story. We got to see that in the story. The compassion of God on display. It's, it's remarkable. Second, what did Jesus say about the centurion's faith? What did he call it in verse 10? He was amazed at his great faith. Matthew says that he was astonished or he was amazed or he marveled. That's how we translate that Greek word. And it's the only instance in the gospels of Jesus marveling at someone's great faith in him. See, the only place, the only story in all of the gospels where Jesus is marveling at someone's faith in him and calls it great. This is the story, the Roman centurion. That's it. It's the only one. There's one other time in the Gospels that, the, that this Greek word is used that we translate marvel or astonish. So one other place. And it's not Jesus marveling at great faith. It's Jesus marveling at a lack of faith. And it's interesting to note because it's in Mark 6, 6, by the way. You can look at this later. Jesus was in his hometown of Nazareth and he marveled at their lack of faith. So we have marveling of Jesus at a lack of faith of his Jewish people in his hometown and Jesus marveling at the great faith of a Roman man of war who was doing all of the breaking. That's it. Those are the two marvels. And there was some lack of faith this day as well. And I want to remind you of that. And he looks around to all the people that were there in verse 11. And he says, you know, there's going to be many that are come, that, that, that are going to come. And he talks about the, uh, the great, you know, patriarchs of the Jewish faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then in verse 12, this like chilling warning again. And it's very similar to what we just read in Matthew 7, the Sermon on the Mount the subject of the kingdom will be thrown outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, this loving, I would say a loving, merciful, but chilling warning to those who were there who were practicing religion without authentic faith in Jesus. Who were doing the mask thing and the play thing and the check in boxes thing and the and 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 the religious performance stuff like, and we see it in Matthew seven. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew seven, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. The whole thing's about kingdom breakthrough, and I'm just saying, kingdom breakthrough is not religious performing. It's not that. Kingdom breakthrough, what we see in these stories is simply and powerfully and humbly believing in Jesus. What do we see in the leper? The leper just says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Faith in Jesus. What do we see in the Roman centurion? Just say the word and my servant will be healed. Faith in Jesus. Here are some promises for us today, and I want you to see these in the text and underline these, circle these, and proclaim these over your own life. One is this, verse three, Jesus says, I am willing. 
When we come to Jesus in our place of desperation, in humility, we're asking for help. We see it in the leper story. Jesus' response is, I am so willing. You have no idea how willing I am. Verse 7, he says to the Roman centurion, I, I will go and heal. I will go and heal. Verse 13, it will be done. It will be done just as you believed it would. We are so prone to look on the outside. I guess people in general, we're so prone to look on the outside of things, to to their sin, to their shame. We are prone to see their leprosy first. We are prone to see what people have done, what they have achieved. We are prone to see their position and their rank. But the Lord looks to our insides, to our hearts, to what we believe. The leper and the Roman centurion are great examples to this. King David, also a great example to this. He was being anointed. God was calling Samuel to anoint David. David, the youngest one? That little dude, he's going to be the anointed king after Saul, the warrior. And Samuel's kind of wrestling with this like ordination, this anointing from God. And the story is in 1 Samuel 16. You can read that later. But I want to show you just one verse in this interaction between Samuel and God. And the Lord said to Samuel, for the Lord sees, not as man sees. We like to look on the outsides of things. God looks on the inside of things. The Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. This morning, we are not talking about having faith in our faith to get the healing that we're asking for. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about this morning that you got to have enough faith. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is having faith in Jesus, the object of our faith. That's what we're talking about. That's where the power is. That's where the healing is. That there's no power in you having faith in your faith. There's power in you having faith in Jesus. That's where the power is. Amen? Hebrews 11. One, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So that when we don't get the miraculous physical healing that we're praying for, we are still rooted in the goodness and the sovereignty of God. He is still good. In Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it is impossible to please him. But faith, oh, simple faith, humble faith, pleases the Father. Jesus marvels, marvels at those who humbly, simply believe him. You know, it's interesting. um, Worship team, you guys can come back up. My last thought of the morning. It's interesting. We think about uh, Hebrews 11, right? Hebrews 11 is the great hall of faith chapter, right? And there are a lot of names of people in there. And there's some pretty scandalous stories in there, by the way. It's pretty scandalous stories in Hebrews 11. But what's interesting about this leper and about this Roman centurion is we don't know their names. 
We don't know their names. Like those in the great hall of faith in Hebrews 11, their names aren't found there. But their faith was so great to the degree that their stories are in the holy word of God for us as a testimony to us this morning. And I think about most, most of the great ones have lived among us in relative obscurity. We don't know their names, but they had humble faith and belief that Jesus was who he said he is and that he did what he said he would do and that you can trust him and that his sovereignty is where your rest is and where your joy is and where your peace is, no matter what may come our way. What are their testimonies? We don't know their names, but what, what's the testimony this morning of the leper and the Roman centurion? And I believe it's this. No matter where you are in your life, no matter where you are in your story, no matter what kind of brokenness you hold, no matter what kind of unanswered questions you have, here's the testimony of the leper. Jesus is willing. He is willing. And here's the testimony of the Roman centurion to us this morning. No matter what you're holding, no matter where you are in your life, I think the Roman centurion would say this to us, Jesus is able. All I know to tell you is that in our desperation, we came to Jesus and he, and he has made all the difference. And all I know to tell you as one among you, as a brother in Christ to all of you and holding the story that I hold in my life, and all of my unanswered questions, and I know that you have unanswered questions and I have unanswered questions, all I know to tell you is this, that in my places of brokenness and in my places of unanswered questions, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And the, the peace of God surpasses all my understanding. It's all I know to tell you. And I pray and hope the same for you and for us. That we could be like Mary. How could Mary receive that message and to hold the story knowing that she would be pierced and her own son would be pierced, a rooted, a rooted faith in God. Lord, root us, root us, Lord, deeper in your sovereignty, I pray. Lord, we want to believe you for healing breakthrough, heaven now. And I speak heaven's healing over every story in the room, relational healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing, physical healing. In the name of Jesus, by the wounds of Jesus, we are healed. We have been healed. I proclaim it in the name of Jesus. By the blood of Jesus, I proclaim healing in this room, Jesus. We want faith to believe it, Lord. Not faith in our faith, but faith in you, Jesus. And a trust and a faith to arise that's rooted in your sovereignty, Lord, that we will trust you and that we will be grateful knowing that healing is already happening in our lives. 
Lord, help us to trust you in our tears. You are a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Lord, help us to have a manifestation today that nothing can take away our joy and our peace and that a transcendent love has been manifest to us in Jesus. And so we say, thank you, Lord. I just would invite you to even pray that simple prayer over yourself, your family. Lord, I receive your healing today. 